this morning, we're beginning to look at the seventh sign. So if you remember, when we started our journey in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is written around seven public discourses, seven teachings that Jesus gave, and then there are seven signs supporting the teachings that Jesus gave. Then there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes where we see the Son uh, from the bosom of the Father declaring God to us through his I am statements. And so as we do this, this is how John, John is not a linear writer. Anybody ever read Revelation? Okay. John is what we call a, uh, well, the best way, we call him symphonic. Uh, think about music. Music is seldom written in a line. Music is written where we circle back, right? We, we uh, sing a chorus, and the, or uh, a verse, and we come back to a chorus. And then we sing a verse and we come back to a chorus. And then to try to build our point on, on what we're doing in the song, we may insert a bridge, right? Where we come to a bridge and then circle back to a chorus. And that's how John writes. The, the gospel of John is not linear. It's not intended to tell us everything Jesus did. It takes seven public discourses. That doesn't mean he only spoke seven times, right? John chose seven that were impactful for him, that, that he felt was making his point, and we remember what his point was, right? I share these things. He says the things that Jesus did, I don't suppose you could fit them in all the books and all the world and all the libraries, right? They wouldn't contain all the things that Jesus did. But John said, these are written for what purpose? That you might believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So seven public discourses, and then... Seven signs, this is a seventh sign, seven I am statements. So John likes sevens, right? We're going to see this come up over and over again. So this is the seventh sign. The seventh sign is raising Lazarus from the dead. You might have noticed from what we read today, we're not going to make it that far. I'm sure that that is shocking to most of you, but we, we are hopefully going to make it as far as we read. We'll see. But as we do this, the seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but before we get there, you have the fourth I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And so we, we just want to focus in on this build, the buildup for the seventh sign. So let's talk about why. Why is this happening? Anybody ever asked that question lately? Why this, why this, why this? And so we want to try to answer that question this morning. We want to answer some of the whys. So John does for us. He begins in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was this Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, if you're reading the gospel of John, that hasn't happened yet. But it was such a well-known event that when John pens his gospel, obviously when John writes, all these things have already happened, right? So as John writes it, he says, I want you to remember which Mary this is, the Mary who anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, we're going to read about that in uh, uh, 
a couple of uh, chapters, one chapter away. So the sisters sent to him and said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, just so you know, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there's several things in this beginning uh, prologue that we want to hold on to. The whys. Why is this happening? What's going on? What is the backstory? What is the thing that is supposed to shadow the event so that we see what John is trying to help us to see, right? We want to be able to recognize it. And we see in the beginning, we see a demonstration of the love of Jesus for Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And he mentions it twice in the first five verses. The one whom you love, Lazarus, he's sick. Uh, And at the end of verse five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So before we start interpreting any of the events, the things that happen, before we look at any of that, what is he wanting us to do? He wants us to know what? Jesus loves them. Jesus loves Lazarus, even though Lazarus got sick. Jesus loved all three, even though all three are going to go through hurt and pain and, and sorrow. Because as we work our way through this text, what Jesus wants us to understand is he doesn't see death like we do. You and I, we see death as an end. We see death as something to uh, obviously steer clear of, right? But Jesus is here to tell the people that death is being defeated. He's in the process of defeating death. He's in the process of taking away death's sting. Death no longer separates. Death is a doorway to his presence. So if you think about it, Death actually is a blessing for the Lord if the Lord wants you to be with him. But we don't see it like that, right? Because we see it how it affects us. Death affects us differently. Now, I I have a loss. I, I can't any longer reach the one whom I've lost. When my mom died um, this last year during probably some of the peak shutdown times of COVID. Uh, I can't ever call mom again. I can't ever uh, engage her. I can't listen to one of her crazy Alzheimer's stories. I can't do any of those things because death has closed a door to me. But I also know that death opened a door for my mom. I also, and, and that's why, right, when Paul writes about death, he tells us that we don't suffer as those who have no hope, right? Now, he doesn't say we don't sorrow. We do sorrow. It's okay to, to, to mourn. There's nothing wrong with mourning. But he says we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We have a hope. Christ is our hope. Death has been defeated. Death is a doorway to his presence. It's a birthday in the presence of God. And Jesus wants, and John, as he writes this, wants everyone to know, there's not punishment. This is not, uh, you know, somebody got sick, so God's mad at them for something they've done wrong. This is a case where the Lord says, hey, I love Lazarus. And did they know that Jesus loved them? 
Yeah, because when they wrote the letter, they said, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus wants them to know. Now, this is not a phone call. So the conversation that happens with Jesus, they don't hear, right? They just wrote it. Now, when they wrote that letter, it took at least a day to get to Jesus. So one day from writing the letter and it gets to Jesus. It's a little different communication style than what we have, right? And then Jesus, he's, he sees that letter. He waits two days. We're going to see it in a moment. And then he goes. So it's four days. When we get to the story, we're going to see that Lazarus has been gone for how long? Four days. Which means the day they wrote the letter telling Jesus Lazarus was sick, he died. And all the while, Jesus said, this, death does, this does not lead to death. And it's important that we start to try to have the eyes that Christ has in terms of what death means. But I, if I'm honest, I tend to act like a child because I focus on how this affects me and the hurt that I have. And I, and I sometimes am not open to the realities, the spiritual realities that God is laying out. The other thing we want to recognize in these first five verses is that this is a display of God's sovereign purpose. And this is going to be a rub for us. Because you and I will trust God's power, but we have a hard time trusting God's purpose. We all know God's able to do the thing, right? We, we say, Lord, it's a, God could, you know, well, I don't know, he just spoke and light happened. The universe sprang into being. So it's not hard, it's not a hard thing for God to be able to uh, speak a word of healing, right? So we know God has the power. It's usually not a problem with uh, our questioning God's power. It's usually we question his purpose. Why did you do it like this? And scripture holds out this. God seldom answers that question. If you don't believe me, read the book of Job. When you get to the end of the book of Job and you're in the final chapters and you think, here we go, he's gonna tell him. <laughs> then the Bible says Job saw God and decided he didn't have any more questions. So the, the, the wise, those, what God, what is your purpose? Now here's what Jesus says here. Jesus said, the purpose of this, this illness does not lead to death. Now by the time he's reading the letter, Lazarus is already dead. But Jesus said, this does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God has a purpose. Now, there are times where God lays out for us a purpose. Why was this man born blind? You remember? Why did this guy suffer outside the pool of Bethesda for 38 years with no one to put him in the water? 
We see the whys God, God shows us as we look through the gospel, some of these whys, some of how the whys come together so that when he doesn't tell us, we can say, well, I see in these times God had a reason. He had a purpose behind what was going on and what is he calling me to do? Same thing he called that, what was God so frustrated with the children of Israel for? I want you to trust me. But God, the armies are outside and they're breathing down our neck. And God would say, yeah, but I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me that if I don't do it your way, there's still a purpose being accomplished. That's really hard for us, isn't it? You know, the way we can find it's, it's most hard is when we endure an election cycle. <laughs> when we endure an election cycle, we see all the, it's, it's funny to me how um, much I want to say, he's not my president, and how many things like, you know, that I, that I saw on other sides or other, other views, and, you know, not that one thing matters more than another, I know all world leaders are wicked just like me, but... I look at it and I go, oh, look at, I want to throw a little hissy fit. And I catch myself wanting to, to, I want a safe room where I can go scream. And all of this stuff, what it shows me is that I'm not super stoked about how this is all working out. Do you believe that it's God who raises up kings and brings down kingdoms? Oh, so you believe in his power. How you feel about his purpose. And, but you know, if you spend time studying the word, read through the Old Testament, you see how many times they, the people of Israel, were disappointed because it didn't, things didn't happen the way they thought they should happen. And what, Lord, what are you doing? And so their struggle was not often with God's power. It was with his purpose. Do you believe that God has a purpose in all this? And all the ways we start to divide, especially within the body of Christ, are all signals to me struggling with God's purpose. We want an answer for all the hurt, don't we? We want an answer for, for the, the crazy life we live in. I, I would love a, 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 some way to, to reckon it all and put it all together and line it all up. I have a friend who is in incredible shape, nothing like me, uh, healthy, and he got COVID and was in intensive care 55 days. Intensive care. He had to learn how to walk again. Uh, he's still on oxygen. Um, he's not in the hospital. He is recovering, but it wrecked him. Almost killed him. I have other friends who are in horrific shape. Oh, me, for example. <laughs> and I get COVID and I basically have a cold for four days. 
And that's it. And we want, uh, we want to be able to frame that. We want to be able to frame that and say, well, this is why. This is because person A is, had this or person B had that. We want to find a way to, to frame all of our understanding and what's going on. And because we can't frame it, we divide with everybody who wants to frame it different than us. So we have people within the body of Christ who, um, who, who are very strongly support uh, wearing masks. Praise God, wear masks. We have people in the body of Christ who, uh, who definitely don't want to do that. Okay, praise God. And we do what the church in Rome did. The church in Rome split over meat and veggies. It's no different. Because they wanted to force the other to do likewise. Well, you know, you're really walking with the Lord better if you eat vegetables. So you need to quit eating meat. And the people who are eating meat say, you know, you're really walking with the Lord better, trusting him more if you stop eating vegetables and you start eating meat. And so that church was dividing, right? And Paul has some strong words. Hey, what are you, who, what are you doing? Judging another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls. So allowing the body to be and to nobody... You, if I lined up for you all the people who were going to be wrecked by COVID and all the people who weren't, you couldn't tell them apart. It's not going to be all the fat people or all the old people or all the this people or all the that people. So I feel like every people gets to decide how they want to deal with it, right? And so we have our church services online for people who feel like they can't come Praise the Lord, I hope you're still able to have some type of fellowship by watching at home. And then there are other people who say, man, I can't stay at home no more. I want to go out, but I want to wear a mask. Praise God, wear a mask, come, be a part. And there are other people who say, I don't want to do anything. I've had it up to here and I don't want to do it. Then praise God. Don't divide and start to hate one another because you're struggling with God's purpose. Not his power. I don't know why. But I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to keep me. And I can tell you this. Jesus' one prayer for his people was that they would be united and so we go through an election cycle and we divide. Those who love Trump, those who hate Trump. And then we go into COVID and we divide over how we should respond or, or how we think we shouldn't. Or, or we divide over should you do A or should you do B? It doesn't make any difference. This kind of stuff's been coming all the time. But when we see this coming, especially in these days, you don't got no dingers going off. I got dingers, I got bells going off all over the place. Every time something happens, it's like ding, ding, ding. So, oh my gosh. 
I never, how many times have you heard someone say, I've never seen anything like this before? Yeah, I've never seen nothing like this before. Every, every time I hear those words come out of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, that's, that means something, right? Yeah, be on your toes. Be ready. Be about our Father's business. Yeah, whatever the Lord has, I can tell you this. God's not going to be able to do it through a body divided. It's got to be a body united. That means we love the people who don't want you to hug them. It's okay. Let them be who they are. And we focus on what God has for us to accomplish. I hope we can do that. I hope we're not going to continue to struggle over this, this idea of God's purpose. He goes on, look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Why? Well, honestly, he's God. He can wait as long as he wants. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Then after this, he said to his disciples, hey, let's go to Judea. Now you remember how they left? It's just a chapter before. They wanted to kill him. They all had stones to stone him. Not the kind of stones people do these days. A different kind of getting stoned. They're going after him. They want to stone him. They want to kill him. They left. They went to Galilee. They're hanging out in the, in the Galilee. And his disciples have not forgot. So Jesus is all excited. Hey, let's go to Judea. And the disciples say, Rabbi... In case you forgot, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Look what Jesus said. Are there not 12 hours in a day? What's he mean? He's, he's used this phrasing before. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble. What is it? That Je- How did Jesus use this before? He said, I am the light of the world, right? When he said, I am the light of the world, he said, it is daytime. When it's daytime, it's time for me to work. The night is coming when no one will work. That is, he's speaking of his crucifixion. He's saying, it's not time. It's not time. They can't take me yet. It's not time for me to be crucified yet. It's not time. It's daytime. There's 12 hours. Now, he's no longer speaking in long periods of time because as we move forward, chapter 12, 13, 14, we're picking up speed moving toward the cross. He said, look, there's, there's 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. In daylight, we see the light. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So the third thing we think we see about this, this uh, foreshadowing here is that he wants to develop trust in his disciples. His disciples are saying, why are we going back there? They want to kill you there. Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. Easy walk. Easy walk. And from Bethany, from this seventh sign, we're going to enter into a, what should we, what should we call it? A uh, uh, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior at the temple. When all the people are going to come out and wave palm branches. You guys remember that, right? 
Yeah, he's going to come walking into the city. People will proclaim him. It's going to be very public. The disciples are like, what are you doing? Look, Lord, we know you have power, but I don't understand your purpose. I don't understand your purpose. But the Lord says to his disciples, I want you to trust me. It's daytime. We have to work while it's daytime. This is what I would say about our world today. Look, I don't, I don't know where the world's going, and I don't know what's happening, and I, I don't have some special communication where God will tell me the day he's going to return, and basically if somebody does that to you, you should leave and not listen to him anymore. <laughs> but I tell you this, it's daytime. It's time to be busy about our Father's work. That's what time it is, no matter what's happening. It's time to be busy. I want you, Jesus saying, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to walk in the light. There was a man uh, who only lived to his 20s. His name was David uh, Brainerd. You guys heard of him before? Anybody heard of him before? <laughs> You're about to hear about him. So, so David Brainerd, he, he, he had a fight, well, not a fight, but a disagreement with a professor at Yale. Once upon a time, I don't know if you guys knew this, once upon a time at Yale, you could not be a pastor anywhere on the East Coast unless you graduated from Yale. Because Yale was developed to prepare pastors. So David Brainerd has a, a, a disagreement with a, a, one, of his, one of his professors. And so you weren't allowed to have disagreements back then. So he got thrown out of Yale. He got thrown out of Yale because he said something like, my professor wouldn't know the gospel if it hit him like a truck. So, so he gets thrown out and he, he wants to serve the Lord. But he's got this sickness. He has a hard time breathing and he coughs a lot. And uh, he finds himself, uh, I should have wrote it down, I didn't write it down. He finds himself with an opportunity to be a missionary to the Indians. And so he goes. And he ministers to the Indians, but he keeps getting sicker. And he's a long ways from anywhere where you can get treatment. And his friends would say, what are you doing? You can't, you can't do this. You can't keep going out and trying to serve. Look, prudence would say that you need to take care of yourself. So you need to come back to the East Coast. In fact, the, all of a sudden, these churches on the East Coast, he was having some pretty good success with the um, native population and the church was growing and God was doing some neat things through him. And so he starts getting offers to, to pastor on the East coast, even though he got thrown out of Yale. And, uh, but they kept saying, you, you need to get to a doctor. You need to get to a doctor. He said, no, God wants me to be here with the native population. So he stayed. And he died in his 20s of tuberculosis. 
And a lot of wise people would have told him, you, you got no business going out. You're sick. But there have been more people encouraged and empowered in the mission field because of his story than any of the amount of people he reached. I believe God has the power to cure tuberculosis, don't you? But I also believe in God's purpose. And I may not always be able to tell what it is, but I know he doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to be just like his disciples. Trust me, we're going back to Judea. Nobody would have said, hey, Jesus, this is a smart choice. You should go back to Judea because those guys who want to kill you are still there. <laughs> right? Do we do that? Have you ever heard somebody tell you, I'm going to the mission field? We have some friends. They had, oh, Kathy will be able to straighten me out. But they had, look, the details in my stories aren't important. Some of, some of the details are, might be a little iffy. But we have these, these friends, husband, wife, and they have several kids. I'm going to say three. It might have been four. And uh, they come up to church, and this was a long time ago. Gosh, 25 years ago. Uh, could it be that long? 20 years ago? Anyways, they say, the Lord has called us to Afghanistan. You know it's illegal to be a missionary in Afghanistan? You can't do it. In fact, we could not even put their pictures on our website as missionaries in the fear that somebody would see the picture and that would cause them grief. And I sat around and I said, I don't know. The Lord is calling you to Afghanistan? Yeah, for sure. You got three little kids. They were like, you know, one, two, three, four, five. We'll just put them all in a row. And they were, they're little. <laughs> Kathy's giving me numbers. They have five kids? Oh, Lord have mercy. It was worse than I thought. <laughs> and they went and they spent, how many years were they in Afghanistan? Seven, Seven years in Afghanistan. Uh, they're back in the States now and, and, and doing other things now. But man, God used them mightily in Afghanistan and it was scary the entire time. And every day had a chance of somebody finding out why you were really there. And they had different jobs doing different things, teaching, something about computers and something about teaching. But the whole purpose was to develop the underground church. And, and uh, man, God did some powerful things through them, but they were never safe, not one day. But God called them to go to Afghanistan with five kids. And the Lord said, look, I just want you to trust me. I know you trust my power. Will you trust my purpose? And so he wants his disciples not to be afraid. Then he goes on, verse 11. After saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to wake him up. Now it's beautiful for you and I when we read that because he knows he's already dead. He's like, I'm going to go raise him from the dead. Remember I told you when Jesus was here, it was not just another day, like normal day. Like, oh, you know, the other day somebody raised somebody from the dead. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. No, it doesn't. 
It didn't happen then all the time. It doesn't happen now all the time. People don't just, healings don't happen. Like Jesus, it set him apart. So Jesus is kind of stoked. Yeah, we're going back to Judea. You're not going to believe it. I'm really going to freak out all those people who want to kill me because I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. And they're going to want to kill me even more when I'm done. He's like, we're going to go wake up our friend. So the disciples said, hey, the disciples don't want to go. Do you see that? The disciples are like, "Uh, Lord, if he fell asleep, he'll be okay. They don't want to go. They're like, no. If they want to kill you, they might hit us instead. But Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master, right? The things they've done to me, they will do to you too. We have to be okay with that. Because when God called us, he never lied to you. He, didn't, he never said, I'm calling you to a life of perfect peace and safety. It's okay to pray for peace and safety. Please. Jesus would instruct us all to do that. But we have to trust God's purpose. We are all here for such a time as this. That we might minister however we are able for such a time as this. God didn't say, you know, I didn't know you were going to be there when COVID hit. Well, he knew. And he has empowered you to do whatever thing he has called you to do. We don't have to be afraid. Even though where he may call us might be dangerous, even though where he calls us may not be at all. Doesn't matter. We trust him, right? The disciples are like, no, Lord, he'll, he'll be okay. So Jesus, it says, now Jesus, John's given us commentary. Jesus had spoken of his death, but, but they thought he meant taking a rest. I love how John does that. Do you hear the implication? Hey, Jesus did this thinking about his death, but those guys over there, the dumb disciples, they didn't know he was talking about him being dead. I'm sure John was lumping himself in that group because I don't think anybody thought uh, what was going to happen was going to happen. He said, so Jesus told them plainly. This is cool because that word means, that word plainly means without metaphor or illustration. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So keep this in mind. Jesus said, we're going to Judea. Why are we going to Judea? The fourth reason, to raise Lazarus from the dead. I go to wake up my friend. I'm going to wake up my friend. This is why we're going. He's calling the disciples. I'm going to awaken Lazarus. I'm going to wake him from his sleep. I'm going to wake him from his slumber. His time is not up. And so he says, in verse 15, he gives the last reason, the last foreshadowing. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Because if Jesus had been there, Lazarus would not have. Died. It was hard to die in Jesus' presence. Do you know that? It was hard to die in his presence. Can you think of how many people died in Jesus' presence? Uh, none. How many dead people stayed that way in his presence? Not very, I, I, all the ones I read about, they got up. Jairus' daughter, 
Remember? They get up. Because that's what Jesus did. That's how he drew the spotlight. That's how he said, I am who I say I am. I'm the raiser of the dead. This is why we are going. And then I want everyone to know. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. It's what he's telling his disciples. I want you to believe I am who I say I am. Because we know as we go through the, the gospel, and even when we get to the end of the gospel, it's going to say some doubted. Some had a hard time holding on to who Jesus said he was. Jesus said, come on, we're going to go see Lazarus. So you know, I am who I say I am. Now, a lot of people think Peter didn't make this trip. There is, uh, in study of the Gospels, I don't remember the numbers, so you guys look it up. There are several chapters in all the synoptics and in John where Peter's gone. Usually Peter's a spokesman, right? Usually if somebody's going to stand up and say some profound statement, it's Peter. But Peter's not the guy who makes the statement. Who is it? Thomas. Thomas called Didymus. Maybe he was a twin. Maybe it was a nickname because he looked like somebody else. Maybe he looked like Jesus. Who knows? Thomas called Didymus, called the twin. He's the one who stands up. It's interesting because uh, Mark, which is Peter's gospel, doesn't mention Lazarus being raised from the dead. Would make sense if Peter wasn't there. He just heard about it from the other guys. I don't know. A little something to tickle your appetite. You, you, you may go chase it down at your leisure. <laughs> and if you want to come talk about it over coffee, we can do that too. He wants them to believe. So Thomas called the twin, said to the disciples, okay, let's go die with him. Thomas is like me. He's a glass half empty guy. He's not the guy who's going to say, hey, let's go. We're going to experience this incredible transformative thing where somebody's raised from the dead and great joy goes forward and the people proclaim Jesus, you know, with uh, terms of, the, of his messiahship. And he doesn't say that. He says, let's go die with him. <laughs> We're doomed. Let's go. Hey, guys, let's all go die. Let's go die with Jesus. That tends to be, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I just tend to look at the, the that's why God brought me Kathy. Because she would whisper in my ear, oh no, it's so exciting. Jesus is going to raise the dead and everything's going to be okay. And all the people, right? That's, she would have been that, she's the, if we were the seven dwarfs, I'm grumpy. And she's happy. Oh, that's good. I couldn't think of his name for a minute, and I would have, I was going to use a bad one. Wouldn't have been good. <laughs> I never even thought of that. I never even thought of it. So Jesus, the last reason Jesus for these events taking place, right, is that they would believe. John wrote, John 20 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? That you may believe. That you may believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you would have life in his name. So, we do the day's travel. He gets there. 
It says, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we know he died the day they sent the letter to him. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, the, the, the tradition of the Jewish people would have been to, that you had professional mourners. You had professional mourners who would travel, uh, and this was just something they did. It was not like you made a contract. It's not like you called somebody and said, hey, you know, somebody's getting close to death. Uh, I need to schedule professional mourners for a week from Tuesday. They didn't do that. They just showed up. Professional mourners would just show up to your house and mourn. And if they did a good job of mourning, they would expect that you would take care of them for the time that they were there. That's just, it was just part of their culture. This is what they did. So the Jews were gathering and, and bringing that mourning. And the most intense period of mourning is the first four days. So the first four days is the most intense. They're, they're there, they're mourning, they're trying to bring comfort because the Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn. It's okay for people to mourn. The biggest hint I can ever give you about going over to somebody's house where someone has suffered an incredible loss is don't try to stop them from mourning. Let them mourn. The Bible says, Mourn with he who mourns. So if you go show up at somebody's house and they're crying and they just can't do nothing but cry, then you sit down beside them and you cry with them. That's what you do. Don't have to have magic words. Just be there. Yeah, best times ever of consoling have been when I could just sit beside a, a brother or a father with his children and just cry together. Because, let's face it, none of us got no answers. We don't have no answers. We don't know. But I know in whom I have believed, right? It's okay. It's okay to cry, to mourn. So many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. There's a reason why the Bible tells us that. You ever been disappointed? Now, you don't, nobody's blaming Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, right? Jesus had to leave. They know he had to leave because the people wanted to kill him, remember? So Jesus left, went back to the Galilee, went back to the Jordan, and people were gathering to him. But, but have you ever just been mad because of how something went down? I mean, you're not trying to blame anybody. You're just mad. I have a, a little... Kathy calls it a man cave, but it's not really a man cave because if any man came and looked at it, he'd say, this looks like one of your wife's rooms. <laughs> I would say, it is one of my wife's rooms, but it's the one I hide in. And I, that's where I go. Sometimes you're so frustrated or angry or whatever, right, that it's not necessarily that you're mad at somebody, you're just mad. Mary's just mad. And you ever been in that place and somebody said, you know, you just need to pray. And maybe you're like Martha. And you jump up and you're ready. Let's go pray. Martha gets up and she goes right to Jesus. Now Mary's going to come to Jesus too. But it's going to take her a little while longer. I want you to recognize that in the text, Jesus doesn't rebuke either one. 
He doesn't rebuke Mary for it taking her longer. And she was sitting in the room listening to the mourners just crying over the loss of her brother. And Martha heard, and as soon as she heard, she went right to him. Because people are different. I don't know if we fully understand that. Some like meat. Some like veggies. God doesn't try to change them. He does what? He just welcomes Martha and, and has his, his conversation with Martha when she comes. And then later on, next week, he has a conversation with Mary. And you're going to discover, he says, almost the same thing to each one. Because God, he is far more patient with you and I than we are with one another. And so it says, Martha, as soon as she knows, as soon as she hears, she runs to him. She, she comes out to him and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that is an incredible statement of faith. Lord, if you had been here, this is not her anger. This is not her frustrated with God. This is her saying, man, if all this stuff in life hadn't happened and you didn't have to go down to Jericho, if you could have been here when this was going on, my brother wouldn't have died. That's a statement of faith. I trust your power. Jesus is going to pry a little deeper. And she says in verse 22, and even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Now this is an interesting sentence, and I don't want to make too much out of it, but the, the idea that she has here is, is a statement that she has not quite come to a place she believes Jesus is God. When she says, whatever you ask of God, she, the, the word is a word for ask that Jesus never uses. Jesus uses a word that, that is to the word that you would say to ask an equal. And she uses a, a word that you would ask uh, uh, an inferior to a superior. Um, and so it, it may be that there's something like that going on behind the scenes. In a moment, she's not going to have any of those doubts. But, but for right now, she doesn't see him as the one who makes all the decisions. She doesn't see him as the one who holds it all together, like Paul says in Colossians, right? That the only thing holding the world together is Jesus. The only thing holding my world together at any given moment is Jesus. And it doesn't depend on me. He, he's doing it. It's him. But she doesn't quite know that. Right, So she says, I know whatever you ask of the Father, and I don't think she's, I think it's a statement that she's trying to say, you know, I know that you weren't the one who made this call. Because it was your call, my brother would still be alive. Because sometimes that's how we wrestle with the purpose of God. We want to say, well, God wouldn't have never done this, so this is your fault because you did something wrong. That ever been you? I know it's been me before. I don't want to be like that. I want to trust God's purpose. Even if I don't understand it. And I don't have to blame somebody else. Because ultimately, guys, the person in charge of this whole world is the Lord. He does as he will. 
And it's not, we're not refuting or ruining his plan because we did something different. No, no, now it's all going to fall to pot. But I also know we don't understand it. We're, we're not living in a place where we recognize all of that, all of those things. So we stand in a place where we have to trust him. He knows what he's doing and he's moving and he's working. He's accomplishing his purpose despite us. And so he, she's saying, look, I, I, I know whatever you would ask from God, he, God would give it to you. So Jesus asks her, he says to her, your brother will rise again. Now what does he mean? Like in a couple minutes, right? Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This is how we deal with death sometimes, right? Well, we'll see them again. This is just normal. This is just normal. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not, there's not a rebuke here from Jesus to her. She says, I know he will rise again on the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. So if you are in Christ, you are raised. If you are in Christ, you are life. There is no death. This is a point that Jesus is making. If you are mine, there is no death. Now, that doesn't mean that our physical bodies don't stop. But what did we already discuss? Death was the doorway to Christ. Death is the doorway to him. Jesus is saying to her, look, death is no thing anymore. It's nothing for you to fear Death is something that we can recognize as a doorway to his presence. Doesn't mean it doesn't cause us sorrow. He never said that. He just said, I am the resurrection. You can't die in me. You can't die in me. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's still alive. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? Now she is like us. It's okay to say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. All I know is if Jesus talks, I believe it. I don't know how that works. She doesn't know her brother's about to get out of the grave. She doesn't know that all her sorrows about to be turned into joy. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know that all these mourners are going to be ticked off because they're not going to get any bonuses or any special meals or anything because Jesus is going to raise the dead and nobody's going to listen to a word they say no more. And they'll just be another group of people that go to, to Jerusalem and are mad at him. And you and I don't know what the next moment holds. We don't know. I don't know when our sorrow will be turned to joy, but I know this. When I see him, I'm going to be like him. And all the stuff that I fight with every day, like, Jackie, why'd you say that? Oh, you're 50, how old am I? 56 years old and I still have not learned. Just be quiet. Just shut up. Just shut up. Man, 90% of my, the fires in my life are caused by my own mouth. 
But one day, I'm going to see him, and I'm not going to have that anymore. I'm not going to have the, the weakness of the flesh. I'm not going to have the sin nature pulling at me, dragging me down. I'm going to be able to focus on being who God says I am. And I struggle with that now. You know, the Lord says I'm this. I don't feel like that. I still feel like this. But I believe. That's what, that's what Martha says. Look, verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, I believe what? You are the Christ, the Son of God, which is exactly why John said he was writing this gospel. So that you would believe. It was exactly why Jesus said he was going to help Lazarus. Why? So that his disciples would believe. Here's Martha. What's she doing? She believes. In a moment, we'll take a look at it next week. Mary's going to do the same thing. What's she going to do? She's going to believe. What about Lazarus? He's going to be the easiest one of all. Right? He's not going to have a hard time believing. These things are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. These stories in the gospel, in the Old Testament, are there to encourage us to be who God's calling you to be. Maybe there's a David Brainerd in here. Maybe there's somebody that God's going to do amazing things through. We can only one day we'll say, hey, they sat across the church for me once upon a time. Who knows? But I know in whom I have believed and I trust. He knows what he's doing. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to study your word. And I pray, God, that we would be able to lay hold of your truth. That, that we're not offended by, the, by your truth. And I pray, Lord, we're not offended by one another. But God, we would, we would honestly and sincerely take opportunity to be united to actually care about one another, regardless as to our affiliations, regardless as to what we believe about current events. Because Jesus is bigger than all that stuff. He's bigger than it all. And the purpose that he came for was far exceeded politics, far exceeded the, the cares and concerns of the current worldscape when he came. So I pray, God, that those of us who are here today, we, I know we all trust your power. I pray we can learn to trust your purpose. Even if it's different, things don't happen the way we think they should or it doesn't follow my plan. I pray, Lord, with Paul, we could, we could say those same words. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he will keep me. He will keep me. God, I pray that you would speak to us and guide us. I pray that we would respond, Lord, as you direct us to minister to a world that needs you. More today than 
10 years ago, for certain, there are people who don't know you, don't believe you, are stuck in their rebellion and their rejection of you. Their hearts grow harder by the day. But God, who is rich in his mercy and the love with which he loved me, he made me alive. He made Lazarus alive. I had a friend once whose marriage was falling apart, and I remember he was giving up, he was quitting, and he said these words to me. It was not the end of the journey, just the beginning. He said, if God can speak life to the dead, then he can speak life to my marriage. Yeah. I know your power, God, and I will trust your purpose. And may you be glorified in this place as we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.